Hey everybody, John here. Before we start the episode, if you could just go and subscribe, rate, review, you know, give us a little love. It helps people find the podcast. We're trying to grow our audience. We would really appreciate it. Thanks. Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Moving Spotlight Podcast. This is where you can learn to take <laughs> Control of your creative career. I was like, what's our catchphrase? <laughs> uh, do we have one? We know, we have one. We have one. We're good. Uh, I'm here with uh, my main co-host. Hey, it's Corbin Quill. Hey, everybody. Corbin, I am in a smiley, happy, joyful mood today. <laughs> yeah. And the topic I wanted to start with is what is a story that like makes you laugh or smile makes when you it, think of it? Mm, makes me laugh and smile. Hmm. Yeah. I, I just, I, this hasn't happened yet, but for uh, a bunch of my friends are doing like a secret Santa and I got uh, my friend a, like a, a box with like some comfy clothes, comfy, like a candle, like a, just like a nice relaxing thing. But I also got him a uh, retractable middle finger thing. It's like a lightsaber. So you like swing it out and it goes, just so you can put <laughs> so it So it's like a hand, like yeah, a fist. Exactly. And then when you do the lightsaber part, exactly. then it becomes a middle finger. And so when he can put it up and let people know, his husband in particular, that I'm busy right now and I don't need you to be around. <laughs> so I'm really, Leave I'm so excited. And I've been thinking about it. It's been cracking me up and making me laugh just i was like what is this thing on etsy i just ordered it immediately <laughs> i love it. I, I love that you can see it say i want it and then it's like shows up in like you know a couple days later <laughs> yeah exactly That's so good so what good. about you what is, what's a fun story oh, man I, so the one that um the one that i think that is always cracks me up is i um my sister was running the new york marathon and they had this thing where you could submit videos that are five seconds or less that they were going to play on a big billboard okay for the runners and they, and they knew based on like the tracking system like when you're when you're the person you knew so like when my sister was running by the billboard her you know uh, our parents video would play her friends would play or you know mine would play like that's it's cool. kind of be random so i had five seconds i was like i want to do something that's really funny i want to try to, it's hard to do a joke like in 30 seconds <laughs> so i came up with this great video and so my sister's running and all of a sudden she sees like my head pop up there i'm like janine have a great race and then i rise up kind of and, and you can see I don't have a shirt on. And then I go, nipples. And I pointed it <laughs> And she was dying in the middle of the race. She had no idea. And I don't oh, think no. even the other runners, they're all so focused. No one else really even noticed it. But we laughed so hard about that. She had, she had, she was so shocked and surprised. Oh, my God. Um, and yeah, and I think I still have that video somewhere on my computer. But I was kind I, of enjoying. I like, can only imagine was. just like running and being focused. And suddenly your brother pops up. <laughs> just yeah. nipples. Yeah. Go, nipples. You know, it. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so whenever I think of that or whenever I see my sister, we always we always laugh about that. That's great. Uh, I'm excited to get right to our guest today. Yeah. Uh, um, we are both uh, big fans of him. I want to welcome actor, improviser, and my former teacher and a current teacher, Craig Kakowski. <laughs> welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Good. of course. Glad, glad you're here. Craig, any stories um, recently or in the past that like when you think of, man, make you smile or laugh with like friends or family? Oh man. Uh I pretty much smile uh every day, all day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like uh comedy I think is the right uh venue for me because mm -hmm. I'm uh I'm a pretty happy person in in general. Mm. Um this is all uh, just stalling to think of an actual story. <laughs> and that's all right. We put you right on the spot. It's, and that's okay. We had time to prepare. I'm so doing, I'm doing a classic it. political pivot. <laughs> just repeating the question Smiles back. Smiles are nice and, and fun is nice to be had. Uh, that's not the question I want to be asked. Here's the one I'm going to answer. The one I want to be asked, right? um, Craig, so, so I know you from iOS um, from a long time ago. Uh, not that long ago. I'm curious. I know you did improv like in Chicago. How did you first get in, into improv? Like what, what kind of sparked that for you? Well, I started in college actually uh, in the 1980s, Whoa. like at the very tail end of the 1980s. We'll bleep that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll play, play. yeah, yeah, please, <laughs> yeah. please. Um, I went to the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, okay. Virginia, the second cool. oldest college in the nation after mm -hmm. Harvard. Oh. And there was an improv group there called IT or IT for improv theater. And this is like before the internet or before like Sharna Halpern and Del Close wrote truth and comedy of like, there's, there was no information about how to improvise. Like we 
it was just an oral history of being passed down from the previous generations of the the team. So uh, I joined my college team when I was a junior. I was directing it by the time I was a senior. And then one of the guys from the troupe had gone to DePaul before going to William and Mary. And he was like, there's a place called Chicago. <laughs> and uh, there's a theater called the Second City there, and we all need to make a pact to move there together and uh, and study at the Second City. And everybody backed out except me and him. He went to Chicago first, got our apartment. I moved there in February of 1992. It was the coldest I had ever been in my life. I'm from Virginia originally. <laughs> we have we have winters, but not winters like that. Yes, and. Uh, he auditioned for second city classes and did not get into classes. And I was like, Oh man, like that's uh, if, if Chris can't get in, there's no way that I can. And then I found out about the IO or improv Olympic uh, shortly thereafter. Like I had never heard of, uh, of Del close, uh, but we did do Harold the long form in college. We did it wrong. We didn't know <laughs> what we were doing, but we did our version of it. And so uh, I started studying at uh, at Improv Olympic in like early 92 and was performing like two weeks later because uh, like they needed warm bodies on stage right away. And so um, I spent about three years just kind of like performing, uh, you know, mediocre improv in, in crappy bars. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then I was finally hired by uh, by Second City uh, about three years in. Wow. Was was Dell one of the teachers at I.O. or who who were the teacher like or yeah or Second City where was Dell the time it was very small like yeah. by the time you were doing I.O. West we probably had a six or seven level program yeah six level, uh, yep. yep yeah level one was just Sharna Halpern who had founded the theater mm -hmm. and was actually a great intro to improv teacher like she mm -hmm. she would get you excited she would make you feel like uh like you were so talented and witty and urbane. Uh, and then level two was when I first got there, John Favreau was still teaching oh, level wow. two classes. Really? Um, there was also guys like Kevin Dorr for Miles Stroth was just yep. starting at the time as the level yep. two teacher. And then level three was Dell and you could stay with him as long as you wanted to. So I actually was in a play uh, when I was supposed to start level two with Miles. So I did one week with him and then Sharna was like, ah, you can just go to Dell's class. So <laughs> I, so I skipped level two and then I took Dell's class for about a year. So really my only teachers, uh, in Chicago were Sharna Halpern and Dell Close. And then my, my coaches were people like Adam McKay, uh, Ian Roberts, uh, Pete Gardner, uh, Ali Faranakian, like just uh, in wow. incredible people. Like the, the level of talent there, even as we were kind of under the radar, you know, it was not making much of a cultural impact in Chicago, <laughs> but the the number of people who were there at the time who've gone on to do in incredible things is uh, is really deep. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's, that's really, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. The level, the level of talent. I did, I did have a question, Craig, when you, you know, you said it and, and I feel like there's like there's stories that 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 roam around Dell and like I remember one story I heard or something I don't know if you heard this too but like he wanted to do like a trust fall is this a true story or not and like the class was supposed to catch him and like they didn't or something <laughs> no, like that really? is that true I don't know like you hear like stories that are maybe more rumor I don't know like I don't know if you know but I just it's hard to separate the the truth from the myth uh with regards to that guy because he also put out a series of comic books called Wasteland, where he kind of like told stories about himself that have all been kind of debunked uh, mm -hmm. since then. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bio of him called the, I think it's called The Smartest One in the Room by Kim Howard Johnson. And it kind of uh, debunks all of the stories that Dell had told about himself, or at least acknowledges of like, there is no proof that any of this ever happened. <laughs> However, the trust fall thing I'm willing to bet is uh, <laughs> that is was true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that he just hit the deck. Oh yeah. boy, that's so funny. Because um, uh, I, I I love hearing all this because it, it, I also have a fascination with it because when I first moved to LA, I came to IO West and I'd done no improv and I just I think for some people I mean it's interesting, Craig, when you were talking about when you were doing it, it was kind of becoming this you know it was kind of still under the radar, but you know when I got out here the six levels. But also the people when you when they got there and it was new for them, you just like everyone fully submerged themselves. Like I was in the theater like you know seven nights a week, and I think it's such an interesting thing where, you know, it's such a lovely community, and and when people get into it, they 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 get so 
deep into it. You know what I mean? It helps that there was a bar as well yeah. like that. Yes. <laughs> sure. There were many nights where there'd be a hundred people at the bar and five people in the theater. <laughs> you know? um, it would be nice for those percentages to be reversed uh, sometimes, sure. but there are also a lot of nights where the, the house was packed, the bar was packed and you know, you, you just, you walked in and whether you were in a show or seeing a show that night, you know, you would see a lot of friends and a lot of interesting people and you, you'd laugh a lot. So it, it really was uh, especially around the time that, that you were starting of like, that was such a, such a strong community there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I felt the same about my time in, in Chicago because IO was kind of renting spaces for a while, both for classrooms and performance. And then eventually opened up a permanent space uh, on Clark street in 1995 with a theater up theater down and, uh, and multiple bars. And that kind of like became my, my home you know, mm -hmm. even while I was performing at Second City for about seven years. That's amazing. So when it comes to like improv for yourself, as well as being a teacher and like the new people that come into, into, into improv, like, what do you recommend? Like, how do you know you want to get into improv? Is I guess my question, because it's really hard and it's a very <laughs> weird thing. So what do you recommend for our listeners who are oftentimes actors who are new and scared of it? I, it's interesting because there's a, a lot of different entry points and having I've taught since 1995 in uh, in Chicago and I've been in L.A. for over 20 years now. And so just met many permutations of people who uh, are taking improv classes. There's the my friends tell me I'm funny people. Sure. There's the people who have been you know, huge comedy fans since they were, you know, conscious mm -hmm. uh, and know every iteration of, of SNL, but maybe have not done any sort of formal performing or training. Mm -hmm. In LA, you get a lot of actors who are uh, emotional and charismatic and they can move uh, and they have no idea what's happening in their own scenes. <laughs> and you get a lot of... <laughs> You get a lot of writers who are smart and clever and funny and you don't believe anything that's happening in their scenes because they're kind of mumbling and looking <laughs> at the ground and breaking while while talking and, sure. and everything. So I think it really is at its best the perfect blend of of acting and writing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, those are the skills that I, I try to to teach people. If somebody's coming at it more from the writing side, then I need to get them to to be uh, be emotional and to be vulnerable and to have stage presence uh, and to project uh, to, <laughs> yeah. to the back of the room. And then actors, you need to get them focused on specificity and having some purpose behind their their dialogue and being efficient with their dialogue as well. I've also gotten people who are just, you know, shy and want to break out of their shell a little bit, people who are in the business world and want more confidence that way. It's so beneficial for so many different people. Um, and certainly in LA, you get a lot of uh, people whose agents or managers have told them to take an improv class. And I know on, on this show, you've talked about the benefit, you know, especially for commercial mm -hmm. uh, yep. auditions, you know, yep. just to have that looseness and to know of like, uh, you know, I'm going in for this spot that has zero dialogue or just one line written for me. And then the director may ask me to improvise around that or just to be flexible or to try it, you know, 20 different ways. And so I think even if somebody wants to take just one level to introduce themselves to the basic concepts of it and to just get a, a little more loose and and free, you know, it, improv is an art form where the only raw, only raw material is yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, there's no, you're not channeling yourself into an instrument or a canvas. You know, it's just you your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own background, your own experience, your own sense of of what is funny. That's why it's an incredibly vulnerable art form to study because when you get notes, mm -hmm. you're really getting notes on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, when I start a new class, you know, I kind of like check in with everyone of like, what brought you here? Why, why did you want to take this class? What are you trying to work on? You know, and a lot of people will kind of uh, vomit their, their neuroses, you know, <laughs> of where they are in life. And I'm like, well, I can help you with the improv part. <laughs> you know? sure. Craig, do you feel one of the things, um, you know, when I, when I, when people are going to go try improv, maybe they haven't done it before. I try to rem remind people that 
almost everyone, at least that I know, was really bad at first, right? Like, I do, do you like do you see like you know like someone who's like it's pretty rare where someone's like amazing. Like it's just it's almost like stand up comedy and improv work. Like it just you, it takes time, you know, ch challenging yourself, right? Do you, mm. Don't you see that? It's 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 difficult at first to get. To there's feel. so there's so many yin yang aspects of it, and part of it is getting the right balance of cockiness and humility. <laughs> sure. Uh, and like you have to have a belief in yourself and a belief that you have something to offer that nobody else does, that you are unique. You see the world in a particular way. You have a point of view that's just as valuable and interesting as anybody else's. But also knowing that it's not about you. It's about the group as well. And uh, submitting to the group and to the piece that you're creating. And then sometimes your role in this particular show is to just kind of sit back a little bit and, and make smaller contributions to do walk-ons or, or whatever. So, you know, so my experience is that most people, and this might be the opposite of what people think in LA, most people, I need to build them up. I need to build up their confidence and to to teach them that, you know, what they have to offer is is okay. And then there's some people you need to bring them down a peg <laughs> a little bit. They're know. in every scene. They're like in every scene. You're like, okay, you're in a lot of scenes right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think people would think in LA that you've got a lot more egotistical people, but my experience is is the opposite of like most people just need uh, you know, and in improv, fake confidence real reads the same way as real confidence. So, you know, it's very much a fake it till you make it art form. For sure. I, I've asked this before when it comes to um, like commercial audition stuff, but do you, would you recommend people come in with a little bit of a prep uh, improv like that they come in or do you kind of just like to go off the cuff to make it feel a little bit more natural? When doing a commercial when audition? Doing, yeah, commercial audition in person, generally speaking. Man, I think you should be prepared for anything. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> really, you know, there, there's, there's so many ways that it can go. I mean, if there's a side sent to you certainly be as familiar with that as possible you know if you have any idea of who the director is or what the product is or or, or the campaign you know i tend to be submitted for things that are requesting a lot of like i'm i'm assuming i'm less i'm told otherwise you know unless i'm told stick to the script you know? <laughs> you're just going <laughs> i assume make it your own first you know and that's that's different than how i would approach film or or, or tv you know uh Certainly, I would never like on a sitcom start riffing unless I'd been told like this is a this is a free take, you know, to do whatever you want, mm -hmm. or unless the you know the regular cast has started improvising first. Like I'm always going to be on the page uh, unless told otherwise. But commercials, uh, I find that it's it's kind of the opposite, just because a lot of times you know it's very in flux and they they don't know what the spot is yet, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, John, uh, I, I'm sure like this has happened many times where of like, especially if like I, I've been sometimes like in one of the first groups of the day on the first day of auditions for a commercial. And then mm -hmm. like the the session runner will be doing one thing and then the casting director will come in, like talk to the session runner for a bit of like, like we're, they're still trying to figure out like how to even <laughs> sure. do the audition to get the the director and the ad agency the footage that that they need, you know, because it's so um ambiguous of like yes. of like yes. what they even need it's i mean it's one thing if you're casting a hero part you know with a, a big speech or whatever but a lot of them is really just you're going for a look or you need to like to get one take from the from the truck driver of like how best to set up those uh auditioners for for success you know how to, how to structure that audition in, in some way and that's always in flux i find for commercial work yeah no craig it's a great it's a great point and i i was even thinking about sometimes um, the the if the agency or the director maybe they're watching as the day goes on, and then we'll get like a note and like they're we're like we have to implement it like right then you know what I mean so they're like looking yeah. at what's gone earlier and they're like that's not really working let's try this <laughs> so then you know actors will come in and they've looked at maybe the boards or the script and it's like well you kind of like you're saying the flexibility you kind of got to forget that because I'm giving you the most recent up to date information which usually actors are good about they're not they're not questioning yeah. it. but also can they absorb that and say oh okay I kind of got to let go of that and in this new channel and that's like immediate feedback is the mm -hmm. point like we are getting this because that other stuff isn't working and so with what you're saying <laughs> it is kind of being able to and that can happen i've seen it happen in callbacks you know what i mean where it's like oh yeah we like this direction you know or a director maybe likes somebody and he'll be like oh 
let's keep having you do your thing, even though we haven't seen anyone else kind of do that thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But the director's like, oh, I like this, you know, I like this um, energy. My my experience going in later in the day is that the guy running the audition is always like when he does like the the group explanation. Group, yeah, the group explanation is yeah. like everyone's doing it like duh, <laughs> but it's more like duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so he's, <laughs> he's seen fifty guys do it wrong at that point, or he's gotten the note from the agency or whatever. Like, <laughs> oh my god, Greg, I'll never forget. There, I ran. A, I was running a callback. And it was for this VW spot. And it was like a guy who was riding on a roller coaster of a bunch of VW cars. And then at the end, he like stops and I don't know, he has some line to camera or something. And we had seen guys all day and they were like, everybody sucks. This is terrible. And, and it doesn't have, I mean, being behind the camera, sometimes they'll like say, hey, John, why don't you audition? But it really doesn't happen as much as people think. It does happen. But they were like, John, why don't you do it? So I did it. You know, I thought it went all right. And then I, it, my audition got done. And then they're like, so everybody sucked today. <laughs> what are we going to do for tomorrow? And I was like, glad I'm in the room for this conversation. This is really lovely. I appreciate it. So, you know, yeah, they've seen it 50 times and, you know, yeah. Mark or not. It, it's, it's one of the challenging things. I think, you know, we're kind of drilling into commercials, but there's, it, it's such a specific thing mm -hmm. and it's such a short time frame that they can get really specific you know that's what i try to remind people versus you know like you're talking about on a, on a tv show craig where they got to shoot like eight pages they can't get into every comma and pause they'll never mm -hmm. get through a script mm -hmm. do you know what i mean so they have to kind of drill down or they, they choose to i guess yeah and i think that's why you have to have that flexibility as an actor of like you're gonna get hyper specific micro notes on this and you have to do in this five to 10 second take, you've got to do these five things right. Yep. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there is, uh, there is a flexibility with that, even uh, to be able to drop the thing that you came in with and really listen to that direction and try to nail all those things, you know? Mm -hmm. Craig, I want to just jump back a second. I, I love, where we went to and i want to jump back again so you were at io and then how did second city and and what was who was kind of like what was the the energy at at second city um like when you were there because that's an exciting time for chicago you know there are a lot of you know awesome people coming out of there too at second city well io was kind of the place that we're like we're you know improv is art you know and we're <laughs> we're, we're serious artists and those you know sellouts down at second city you know <laughs> Um, sure. when really everybody wanted that paying gig you know sure. there there were so few paying gigs in town second city had two equity companies their main stage and their etc each have had six actors and then they had three touring companies uh all mm -hmm. of which had six actors that were going out on the road mm -hmm. uh at a time and so the only thing they would hire for was understudy to the touring company wow. uh and they would do that once a year and I auditioned uh, a couple times. My very first night I lived in Chicago, I went to see the main stage improv. No, I saw the whole show and the improv set. You could see the improv sets for free, but we actually sprung for the $20, which seems so expensive ticket. Sure. Uh, and I saw Steve Carell that night. I saw uh, Ron West and Jill Talley, like a uh, fantastic cast. This would have been like 1992. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I stopped going, first of all, because I had no money. And I also like, I would go to see my friends do their level five shows for the Second City classes. And I, I thought they were all kind of like rough. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, I don't really want to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then one of my friends at IO was like, this was like three years in, you know, I'd gone to maybe, you know, five Second City shows or improv sets all in that time. So I really wasn't on their radar as a performer uh, and they weren't on my radar as something I wanted to do. But my friend is like, hey, this guy, Stephen Colbert, it's his last night and, uh, you know, he's doing his final improv set. Uh, so he's he's having like friends come back. He's going to do best of uh, his material, you know, and so I'd never seen Colbert perform. So I went there for his last night, uh, like Amy Sedaris and Paul Donello, who had left, uh, who were kind of his buds, who he did, did all of his scenes with, they came back for that. And then when you do your final night at Second City, you get a pie in the face and you do a speech and everybody cries. <laughs> and uh, all those things happen. I was like, okay, that is something I want 
to do. Mm. I want to be that guy. You know, mm. I want to make that speech. I want to get that pie. I want to cry in front of everyone. <laughs> uh, and so my, my first couple auditions for second city, like completely tanked. Like I knew that like they wore suits and ties. And so like, I, I had this like ridiculous, like double breasted, like, uh, uh, just suit that was like way too big it would look like david burns suit and stop making sense like <laughs> yeah, yeah. except not not ironic it was just a bad fitting suit and like i looked so awkward and uncomfortable at that uh audition but finally they had an audition that was kind of like a straight to callback thing where they had a, a lot of people were leaving at once uh including Carell uh and colbert uh, and they had a lot of spots they needed filled. So they it was like an invite only of like 40 people around town. And at that point, I had had enough of a reputation at, at IO. And then uh, so I had enough people advocating for me uh, out there. I don't know how the audition went. I do know that like I wore jeans this time. I was like <laughs> I showed up like two minutes before my time. Like I took the bus and like was running late. And like so I missed the warm up and everything. So I just kind of like walked in. And I was like super relaxed and like didn't care that much. And also knew that it would be like a 45 minute callback slot rather than like a 10 minute, you know, rush thing with people who were who were frantic and uh, and freaking out. Out. And I knew I would be up there with good people uh, as well. And uh, and I finally got hired uh, as an understudy for the uh, for the touring company, toured for about two and a half years and then did uh, three shows on the ETC stage and two shows on the, the main stage where I got that pie in the face. Wow. <laughs> and who was part of your class, Craig, when you were kind of like there on the main stage and stuff? Yeah. Um. Well, I played a lot with Rich Tallarico, who was yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, my my teammate from Dasariski, our, yeah. our long running improv team, and uh, yeah. we had known each other. You know, the uh, Second City when we first got there was hiring a lot of their like bar staff and like house staff of like it was very kind of like a mom and pop thing, and like that's why we were so bitter at Improv Olympic that they weren't hiring any of us. But finally, they started to bring in people like Adam McKay, Brian Stack. Uh, Rachel Dratch, uh, and then people of my generation like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and, and Stephanie Weir, gotcha. uh, John Glazer, like Rich Fulcher and incredible people. Uh, I was in shows with Jack McBrayer and Horatio Sands, uh, Tammy Sager, Martin Garcia, David Pompey, uh, just really, really fantastic people. Sue Gillen uh, was my my best friend there and we did four of our five shows uh, together. Yeah. It, you know, it's so funny, Craig, you're, you're saying this. And so I was at, I was at Northwestern, not to date myself, but like, uh, like uh, 96 through 2000. And on one date night, we went to um, Second City and I was not doing any performing. I was not doing any improv. And it was the show, uh, which I guess I think is kind of a famous show now or what was at the time where like Rachel Dratch is playing like the submissive wife at the time where like I don't know if you know like the sketch where like she's like like she's like following her husband around it was really funny and then in one sketch I'll never forget they like broke into like a modeling walk and it was so I I don't know it was so crazy <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm talking about I don't know if you know this show at all but anyway it was such a lovely lovely introduction because I'd grown up in Wisconsin watching comedy sports and the yeah. city I thought was similar but very different and it was such a cool way to see it yeah, that sounds like it would have been the show Paradigm Lost with uh, Scott Adsit yes, and Kevin yes. Kevin Dorf and Drash yes. and Faye. Yeah, yes. There's a whole making of documentary, which I don't know if you can still find it on YouTube, but they the cast was followed around for six months uh, by this local Chicago documentary crew, and uh, they they made uh, made a great. Um, mm movie uh out of it and the, the kind of like the the unique rehearsal process of second city because it's sketch comedy that's derived from improv but you never close a show uh you only start to take out old sketches and start to put in new sketches as they're developed in uh -huh. rehearsal and in the improv sets when it's about half new you call it being in previews and when it's entirely new you open it and give it a new title so mm -hmm. like if you're on the main stage you're constantly rehearsing uh, during the day to try out your new material and you're trying your new material in, in, in the improv sets after the show. Uh, and so we had rehearsal processes that were as long as eight or nine months while also still running the old show. <laughs> mm. Wow. Wait, let me ask you something about that, Craig, which is interesting because when I teach acting class and we kind of work on comedy, I'm curious your thought 
kind of this idea of like, like with improv, especially, but like follow the funny, but having your ears open to the audience and what they're laughing at. How do you kind of approach that? You know what I mean? I mean, it's a little different with acting, but I also feel there is an energy you can feel when you're kind of onto something. And I know this, I'm, this is a little more improv focused, but I think there's something mm. of like when people are trying to find their own sense of humor, what makes them funny and things like that. I'm just curious your, your kind of thoughts, you know, on that when the audience reacts to something, you're like, Oh, I didn't even know that was funny. How do you kind of process that? Well, it certainly helped in Torco because I, like I said, I toured for about two and a half years and you're doing old material. So I did a lot of Colbert and Carell and Adam McKay material on the road. You don't get to write your own stuff when you're in Torco. You have to do best of material. Mm. Uh, so that's tough a little bit to step into somebody else's roles because a lot of times it's it's so personal to that actor who created it. But I really started to learn on the road the math of comedy, which is uh, if I just say the line, it gets nothing. If I take a two-second pause, then say the line, it, it gets something. And so mm -hmm. there's something about the repetition of doing sketches over and over. And then once you're on one of the equity stages, you've pretty much got a sold out house every night. ETC fit about 180, main stage was closer to 300. Wow. You've got 300 people there laughing or not laughing <laughs> uh, every night. And so ultimately the the crowd kind of votes on what material is going to make it. You know, you can have something that you believe really strongly in and you've been honing it and changing it and rewriting it and trying out different combinations, different ways of getting that sketch. But ultimately if the audience is not responding to it, it's not going to make the, uh, the show. So that's an incredible luxury that, that second city has that I don't think really exists anywhere else where you're developing material on your feet uh, every night and trying out every permutation of a line, you know, um, this is, this is what I, you know, I I've gotten used to doing self tapes at this point, but this is what I miss about being in the room sometimes, particularly when you're going out for comedy stuff, not that every casting director will give you, you know, a, laugh, uh, a response, yeah. but particularly when, you know, when you're doing a callback, you know, where there might be producers and writers and director in there, you know, I've, I've had that feeling of like being in a room for a callback and like, this is going great. This is working. Yeah. You know? Yes. Uh, you and, and you, and particularly you're doing a comedy audition over a, a self tape. It can be really hard to, uh, to find those rhythms sometimes. Yeah. Even if you're, yeah. Also, if you're doing it over zoom or something, you know, especially if yeah. stuff's a little delayed or something like it just comedy. So, you know what I mean? Like that's, that happened to a friend of mine where the thing was delayed and the reader was, you know, and so that's so hard to find. <laughs> I, I agree. That can be, that can be challenging. Yeah. Um, I have a question. So when I was uh, uh, enjoying kind of talking about these things, when, when I was um, uh, at iOS, the two big shows were Beer Shark Mice and then Dasariski, at least in, in, in the way I felt about it. How did Dasariski come, come about, which was you and Rich Tellerico and Bob Dassey? It was a great three-man improv show. Yeah, we all started at more or less the same time in Chicago in the early 90s. Uh, we were kind of on different teams. I was Rich's first coach when he was 19 years old. Uh, also, Arden Marine was on that team. Uh, and my team, Mr. Blonde, uh, stole Tallarico from the team I was coaching because he was so <laughs> talented. So we we th th there was poaching like that going on back mm -hmm. in those days uh and so i was on that team with uh with tina fey and uh and talarico laura craft bunch of other folks and dassey was kind of on a competing team uh with his wife uh stephanie he was on lost gettys mm -hmm. uh and so like there was always a healthy rivalry between the teams back then you'd support each other to a degree but you always wanted to have the better show you know? <laughs> sure. uh so uh, but then we all did this show called Close Quarters together that uh, my my mentor, Noah Gregoropoulos, uh, who passed away earlier this year, uh, longtime Chicago teacher, he actually, when Dell died, Noah became the guy that everyone finished their, their education with uh, at I.O. So uh, he directed this show called Close Quarters, where we had this nine-month rehearsal process three rehearsals a week, three hours of rehearsal. We weren't trying anything in front of audiences. We weren't debuting the form or anything. We were just developing this new form. So me, Bob and Rich were all in that together with uh, with Stephanie and uh, a bunch of other folks. Mm -hmm. um, and then Bob, Rich and, and Steph formed a team called Trio. And 
now in improv, there's so much two and three person smaller cast things, but it really was predominantly like eight to 10 person Herald teams almost exclusively. And the idea of like doing slower, more patient, more relationship focused uh, improv work uh, that almost felt more like a one act play uh, rather than a, you know, a, a theater piece or just like comedy bits. Yeah. Uh, and so Trio was kind of like one of the first shows to really kind of take their time, slow it down, make it all about the characters and the relationships. Um, and then eventually Stephanie, uh, I believe, left for Mad TV, moved to L.A. Uh, and so they wanted to keep that show going. And so I kind of stepped in. That became Dasariski. Three letters from each of our name. It's an unspellable, unpronounceable, uh, <laughs> terrible name. Uh, but we've stuck with it for about 25 years. And, uh, go ahead. Sorry, go I was just going to say that we yeah. had just taken five years off from performing because Rich uh, is living in Nashville now. But we just did two festival shows uh, in Nashville and St. Louis the last uh, last month, and uh, and all the shows killed. So <laughs> yeah, we uh, we still got it twenty five years later. Amazing. Still got it. Are there any? Um, you know, sometimes certain scenes or moments stick out. Is there any moments with Dasariski that you remember as being like a kind of, once again, we're putting you on the spot, like a funny moment or a lot, you know, I just always think this because, because like so much improv in my mind kind of sometimes blends together, but then certain moments kind of, you hit, hit peaks, you know, like that. I don't know anything that, that comes to mind. Yeah. You know, I, I probably remember more of them than you would of most improv shows because we taped most of our shows and we transcribed the ones that we really liked okay. uh, because we were trying to develop them into pilot scripts, into movies, and uh, and to, to stage plays as well. We eventually uh, wrote two stage plays that were kind of mashups of multiple improv shows that we had done, kind of taking uh, our, our favorite characters and, and moments from there. Um, yeah, so I remember the worst stuff and the very best stuff. Uh, <laughs> as well and you know i i'm currently teaching a class in called sustaining a scene which is all about slow patient scene work the kind that i i like to do the uh the best and you know what i tell my students is i i really learn from from trial and error you know when you because we would do 45 minutes to an hour which if you're in an improv that is not working and you know you've still got 40 minutes to go, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it is the most painful thing uh, in the world. So um, I just remember a, a show that we did where we were all coal miners. And uh, I, I started by saying that I've, I've got black lung and I was dying and Rich and Bob were my were my sons. They didn't pay attention to that at all. <laughs> and uh <laughs> They were not emotionally affected by by their father's impending death from black lung. And uh, at the end of the show, of, like the big reveals that we found a dinosaur egg in the coal mine. And like it was just like out of desperation and it meant nothing and nobody cared. Uh, oh, no. But like better shows, like I, I remember doing shows like we were just like three guys waiting for the bathroom uh, at a bar and like who didn't know each other and the door is not opening. We're knocking. No, you know, there's no sign of, uh, of, of whether the person is coming out, like we can't hear anything uh, <laughs> like it. And we've all got to go. And, and so like, we just stayed in that scene, stayed in that scene. And like, it started to become kind of like philosophical and, and weird. And then eventually we flipped around to the other side of the door and it was three guys just like us who were also waiting. <laughs> so it became like, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, almost like this surreal Twilight Zone uh, kind of episode. So some of those weirder shows uh, that maybe like didn't didn't explain themselves at first, but we just kind of stuck with it and we were patient and and realized you know, the payoff would come somewhere down the line. You know, you just got to commit to character and relationship and be people that the audience wants to see for a while. You know, your other option is to be funny about every 10 seconds. You know, mm -hmm. like the audience is cool with like not investing in the improv show if you can constantly make them laugh. But I think you're better off creating something believable and real that they can care about. And then the laughs will come when the laughs come. And so you have to forego the low hanging fruit of the cheap laugh. That'll get you a little something right now for 
two minutes of no laughs followed by a huge laugh followed by a round of applause you know <laughs> it's a more dangerous way to work but uh but it, it is more worthwhile eventually well and i think i love that craig i think that was one of the appeals for me and i think the appeals if actors are listening because you're in that character and we do you know we're doing that on and you know on movies on tv shows now a lot of times tv shows you got the script but if there is room for that that play you want to be thinking like that character and you don't you know that's one of the things i think about with like commercial auditions where people improv like a a button at the end which we like but if it feels like a joke a lot of times it falls flat you know and and mm. i think that was one of the things you know coming from comedy sports which i did love growing up watching but those are like you know short form which is like the quick kind of more quick hitters and the long form when you kind of really fall in love with it it's such a like you said it's like a tightrope walk that has a different payoff and it's a different pace and once people get on board it's amazing but i think it also takes a little bit of a shift of like well why are they not you know, jokes every 10 seconds, right? So it's being comfortable Absolutely. Where, where you're at, right? You have to kind of train your audience to be to be patient uh, for that, you know? So you've got to project a lot of confidence yourself. You know, you have to look like everything is going exactly the way that it's supposed to. Inside, you're like, you're, you're freaking out a little <laughs> bit. But of like, on the outside, you have to project comfort and confidence to the audience. And they're cool with it for, for the most part, you know, but if you look, you know, audiences are like predators, they smell fear. So if you look panicked, you know, then, then they will see that. Or if you, that they can also tell again, when you're going for the low hanging fruit and, and selling out uh, just to please them. I love uh, when I've completed a, uh, a long form show and at the bar, I'm talking to somebody and they're like, oh man, when Curtis almost lost his job, uh, like talking to me about a character I played as if they're a real person. And, and I can talk to them. Like we we're talking about a succession episode or whatever. Like, I know, like that was crazy. Right? <laughs> and I'd always rather get that kind of compliment and be like, Hey man, that was, that was funny. Yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> like that, that I just created something totally off the top of my head for 45 minutes that people invested in just as much as they would a movie or a book or a TV show amazing yeah, Cor Corbin you just saw Les Mis did, and you yeah. were just talking about how um how kind of much there was or wasn't on stage and how much you filled that in mm -hmm. you know what I mean once the audience was on board you want to kind of like yeah. the boat thing or whatever the, like, I love that the audience is just so ready to jump into exactly what we're you're kind of describing like you can kind of go from one room to the next and people are so attached they're just willing to be attached to whatever you're providing and if you're funny and you can do the 10 second jokes sure but at the end of the day it's like it is all about having um like you said that perceived confidence like if you're acting as that character if you're acting like kurt they're, they're gonna be super excited to talk to you afterwards and be like please tell me everything about it like and you're a genius for that and you're like i don't know i just was riffing <laughs> and uh yeah yeah it was amazing yeah i i think some actor i mean improvisers like you kind of mentioned but i think also actors that like know themselves well even if they're not great skilled actors if they know themselves well and have that confidence that really reads you mm -hmm. know what i mean casting directors pick up on that they pick on oh this person has you know confidence you know, even if their 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 range is not huge, it's like they kind of know who they are, what they can do, and I think that's an interesting thing with what you're saying about about improv, mm -hmm. of having that confidence to be up there. You know, similar to like when you know, when a stand up, you know, is having trouble or whatever. If they're still confident, great. But as soon as they start kind of melting down or getting mad at the audience, I always feel like the audience starts sinking in their seats too. Where they're like, <laughs> I don't want to be uh, here. Yeah. You know, we're 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 following you. Um, I I tell my students, I'm Professor X. You're all mutants. <laughs> I'm not giving you powers you don't possess. I'm helping you train and hone the powers that are already within you. Mm -hmm. So like in the X-Men, you have Cyclops, who's just like has these eye lasers, but he's got to like wear that shield or he'd be shooting people, you know, <laughs> right. and that's what that's what young improvisers are like. They're just constantly like shooting people with their <laughs> eye lasers and they're, they're not in control of their powers, but everybody has a separate mutant power. Mm -hmm. And so there's no one size fits all approach. You have to deal with the individual and help unlock what is unique uh, about them as as a, as a person uh, and as a performer and get them to be the best version of themselves on stage. Like, I don't want to turn them into images of me and there's not some sort of generic comedy archetype that I'm trying to get them to to go to of like, you really have to work with the individual that is there. Yeah, mm, absolutely. I love that. Craig, you've got a, a great acting re resume with Drunk History, Community, Veep. 
of, of kind of those three shows or something, um, is there any of those you want to kind of double double tap on? Like, I mean, Drunk History, Lovely, you know, I mean, I don't what 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 pops in your brain when I ask about those those different shows? Oh, man. Well, we did six seasons of Drunk History and it was just like just a fantastic job. And, you know, most of the the work that I've gotten really has been through pre-existing relationships, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, there, occasionally I've booked something, you know, completely cold uh, off of an audition, but, uh, you know, when Derek waters, um, and Jeremy Connor created drunk history, they had started, um, making, uh, making YouTube videos. It was actually for Derek's one man show, uh, or a variety show that he had at UCB where he got Mark Gagliardi to, tell the story of, of the Hamilton Burr duel uh, before mm. the Hamilton musical. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they reenacted Mark's, you know, drunken ramblings off of that. Uh, it was so popular at his UCB show. He started to do more of them. He started to put them on YouTube. They got a following via funny or die. Um, and then that they were aired on the HBO funny or die series. So when he got the comedy central gig, uh, to do eight episodes, he wanted a ensemble cast that would be in every episode and would play multiple roles. And so I, that was just a straight offer of Derek knowing my work uh, and uh, of being a friend. So like that was the, a gig that fell into my lap. And the, for it to last six seasons, as the pandemic was starting, we were supposed to start season seven. I think like lockdown in la was what like march march of 2020 yeah march of 2020 Mm -hmm. i had my costume fitting that monday like was trying on like five outfits we were supposed to start shooting a week from that day um that was the first day like um like one of the costumers like offered their hand i was like i i think i'm not doing uh handshakes right now Um, (laughs) yes yes like we were just starting to panic a a little bit you know and then so like we were all set to go. Like we were uh, 10 episodes, you know, two months or whatever of, of shooting all around town was already locked in because they shoot the drunks first, you know, <laughs> telling the stories. They edit those down to six or seven minute clips. Then they turn those into scripts, you know? So like, that's, that's the whole process. The only thing that was set to do was the, uh, was the reenactments. And then we never got to do that. Uh, it kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And then Comedy Central finally canceled the show, you know? So there are somewhere 30 stories uh, of, fully edited drunks telling historical <laughs> stories ready to be lip synced uh, so you're listening who's out there listening yeah. i like it so, i yeah. like it yeah like it. <laughs> oh do, do you God. get to listen to the clips beforehand or do you only read the script when before you start recording you get the the audio and the video of the of the drunk um <laughs> so i I was really impressed by our guest stars who typically, you know, we're, it's like making a new short film every day. You've got the guest star for one day, you know, so if you have Octavia Spencer coming in to do Harriet Tubman, you've got about 10 to 12 hours to shoot her out and do everything. You know, she's not coming back another day, you know? Um, And so she's got 10 to 12 pages uh, to learn. Um, One good thing about drunk history is you don't roll sounds because you're just, you're lip syncing. So yeah. like, you don't need to hold for a plane or a leaf blower. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's so that, that, and uh, typically we're doing, uh, especially with the ensemble cast, we probably get two or three takes for everything. So we need to be note perfect, but wow. the guest stars would come in, you know, that that's why they're the pros. Like it was so much dialogue memorized, you know, and some really difficult stuff, you know, yeah. uh, here's where improv training does not help. There's no paraphrasing whatsoever. Like <laughs> right. you've got to be note, sure. note perfect. So I would just, if I had a long speech, I would loop it in my trailer over and over. And it just reminded me of being a kid and like lip syncing in the mirror to your favorite song, <laughs> yeah. you know? Some of our best guests were rock stars like Dave Grohl or Billy Joe Armstrong, who had mm-hmm. probably shot multiple music videos where they're used to just mm-hmm. mouthing their own words. <laughs> right. you know? Wow. Yeah, they know how to do it. Now, to, yeah, how to sell it. <clears throat> oh, that's great. Well, congrats on a six-year run. And didn't you get yeah. nominated for an Emmy too? Was did I see that? Or what? It for multiple years, uh, it was uh, I think four or five times was nominated for a sketch comedy series. We never won. 
like I don't <laughs> mind losing to Key and Peel or to Amy Schumer, but of like losing to SNL is just that's just humiliating because you know they <laughs> they're doing oh, the well, same thing every oh, year. Oh, come on, yeah. yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, and then what about Community or Veep? Any any thoughts on either of those? Oh man, well Veep was the most unique process that I've ever had for working on a sitcom. Um, like I auditioned for the pilot, I auditioned for, uh, for the Tony Hale role, Gary. Um, I'd gone in for a couple of other parts for season one, went back in for, for season two. And there was this guy, uh, Cliff, the, uh, the intern who's filling in for Sue, the normal receptionist. So, um, I uh, I think I had a good first audition. They they called me back, and then uh, it was Allison Jones. I think the first audition was just with Allison for the callback. There's um, Julia Louis Dreyfus is there. Armando Iannucci, the the creator and writer, is is there. We do the scene as written once, uh, reading with Allison or or her assistant, and then uh, Armando was like, oh, "Great, great. Would you like to meet the vice president?" <laughs> And then we <laughs> totally put aside the sides and I improvise with, uh, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus for about 10 minutes. Wow. Uh, awesome. So book that part. Uh, then they fly me to Baltimore. This is when they shot in Baltimore for the first few seasons to be around the, the DC area to improvise with the cast to rewrite the, the script. Um, and this is part of like Armando's normal uh, procedure that he had always done on the thick of it and all of his British series. So I noticed when I get the script that lines that I had improvised in my audition are in there. Mm, uh, wow. And then I spent uh, a day just like improvising with every member of the cast and we're, they're honing and rewriting the script uh, through improv, kind of like my classic Second City process. Mm. Um fly back to LA. Then a week later, they fly me back to Baltimore to shoot. And now they've locked it in. So there was no improv on the day, but they had used multiple rounds of improvising to kind of improve on and allow the cast to put their take on the, the writer's uh, original words. So that was a really unique uh, and wonderful process. And just like an incredible cast uh, of people to work with, just comedic geniuses. Yeah. yeah yeah what a great great show man congrats congrats on that that's <laughs> yeah. wild and then when you worked on community were were the russo brothers still around or no they weren't really around at that at that point were they oh yeah around? yeah i did yeah they were there for most of uh seasons one through three okay i don't think that either of them were the actual director of any of the episodes that i did i think i did sure. about 10 episodes uh total uh okay. over the 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 series but they were they were always around because they were very involved as uh as producers but uh, my sister was actually a writer on season one. So this was this is pure oh, Nepo yeah. baby stuff. Uh, but <laughs> no, I still had to go in and audition and and read. And uh, I was first auditioning for a security guard part. Mm -hmm. um, and so so booked that it was it was a fun little bit. And then about a month later, uh, I got uh, an offer to come back again. And this time it was a cop. I was like, I wasn't a cop before. And the agent's like, don't, don't say anything. Just take it. And so, uh, so that was my second episode. Now I'm a full fledged cop. Um, mm -hmm. And there's like a, there's a fun little bit where uh, the, well, uh, this isn't going to stop until Pictionary bans the word windmill uh, because somebody had actually drawn uh, what looked like a swastika when they were trying to draw a yeah, uh, windmill. a windmill for uh, for Pictionary and like it was just a, just a funny line that I said in a very deadpan way yeah. and then they brought me back again as that cop and I saw Dan Harmon on set and he's like yeah that was a mistake that was not supposed to be <laughs> be the same guy oh really you know? but I think somewhere somebody in casting or yeah. just got confused of just like oh yeah we brought in Craig and he played a cop before but like, but it was a completely different character. So oh the character evolved from uh, security <laughs> guard to, to generic cop to being Officer Kikowski. And I did 10 episodes as uh, he got a promotion as Officer Kikowski. <laughs> yeah. You, you soap operated. You know what I mean? You came in a different. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Wait, Craig, you touched on something there, which was I, I was curious because I, I, I think 
like I don't know. You said your your sister's a writer. I think you do improv with your wife. It sounds like there's a, there's a family of performers there. I'm curious, just kind of the little bit of the the tree or what you know who like you know the Kukowski dynasty. Yeah, the Kukowski uh, <laughs> dynasty. Let's just call it what it is. It's like the Bulls <laughs> dynasty and now the Kukowski. Yeah, I'm just curious. Just yeah. Yeah, my sister Liz is eight years younger than me, and she went to Northwestern probably around the same time that, that you did there. She was in the Meow Show. She was, okay. Uh, yep. And then was she, she did- there with uh, like Josh? Because when I was there, Josh Myers was a year older than me, and Seth was a senior. Was she in there with, with that group? Yeah, she was the same year as Josh. Josh, okay, yeah, so she was- And like older. Peter Gross uh, and uh, other folks were uh, were there around the same time. Uh Kristen Schaal, uh, Heather Campbell, those were other folks that were in the Meow Show with her, uh, which is the the sketch and improv troupe at Northwestern. Uh, and then she did Boom Chicago in uh, in oh, Amsterdam. Boom Chicago. Yes, yes, yes. That was. And then she came back to Chicago, kind of followed in my footsteps. She did the main stage of Second City as well. So we're one of, uh, I think there's three families that have had multiple children, at least at the point where she did it. And they were the Belushi's, the Murray's and the Kikowski's. So there is like, it's <laughs> not bad company, not bad, it's not company. bad company uh, at all. And then she's written for SNL community, last man on earth, girls five ever. Uh, and uh, she still does some acting work uh, as well. Um, she's, uh, Bill Hader's wife and forgetting Sarah Marshall. So, uh, she, she works, uh, a, a fair amount. Yeah. And then my wife, Carla and I, uh, are an improv duo when we travel, uh, travel the world, uh, doing our, uh, teaching and, and performing. That's great. Or is it, uh, Orange Tuxedo? Is that the name of it? Orange movie? Tuxedo is yeah. our improv duo. Yeah. Yes. I did my research. Named after our two deceased cats. <laughs> oh. Orange and Tuxedo. <laughs> and that, that's how the crowd reacts every time I say <laughs> that. And <Yeah>. deflated. <laughs> yeah. They, they, oh, had, well, they had wonderful full lives. Uh, yes. They yeah. were happy... They were happy cats. They died a while ago. Uh, we're we're honoring them. <laughs> That's amazing. It's funny. My my younger sister she interned at Grey's Anatomy as like a medical consultant because she was she was in med school and stuff like that. And they kind of offered her to stay on, and she wanted to finish up and become a radiologist. And I was like, Janine, you were my in to Grey's Anatomy, which has been on for 20, 37 <laughs> years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why didn't you stay? You know, so it's, it's, uh, but I love that. I love that the, your wife and, and your sister, I think that's, that's really, that's really fun. Um, Craig, I'm a big fan of you on Spontaneous Nation with uh, Pop Tompkins. I'm a big fan of oh, wow. the show uh, way back. Um, he, Corbin would, talks about it a lot. Like I'm kind of, of annoyed by yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He's like really a fan. Big I'm fan. just like, okay, enough. Okay, enough. Please stop it. Uh, no, I was just wondering, how was that doing that show with like the board and everything, like going like backwards, forwards in time? Like, is it was it an interesting? <laughs> I forgot about that board. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's so crazy. There were literally a uh, a giant buttons that you could hit for sound effects for like back in time, forward in time, or back to the original scene. Yeah, it's like or yeah, like, like some that. swipe or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, as you're, man. As you're improvising, as you're improvising, is that what it was? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was oh, like gosh. a Simon game, you know, mm -hmm. with like these colored panels. Uh, yeah. And people would always forget which button was which. <laughs> and so you'd confuse people of like, are we forward in time or, or back in time? Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, that actually evolved out of uh, a regular improv show that I did at iOS called My First Time with Khaki, where I would have a guest, which would either be a student or somebody who had been a performer a while that I just never played with or would be like a celebrity guest. And so for a festival, I had Paul once, and he certainly had done tons of improv on Comedy Bang Bang, uh, whatnot, as as characters. Um, but we did one of those like slow, patient, Twilight zone -y weird shows <laughs> where I think it was similar to that other Dasariski show I was telling you about where we ended up being kind of like each other's doppelganger by the end of the show. And of like, he uh, he loved it so much and I, I don't think it's the only reason he started the the improv podcast but if like it definitely was something on his mind that this is something kind of like operating at a different pace and kind of with with different rhythms uh and so i was so honored to be included when he uh when he started doing spontaneous nation and uh i don't know how many episodes i did i did a bunch of them you yeah. know uh that they were so much fun and he kind of like brought a, a bunch of new people kind of into the Earwolf uh, family there. And it, he still does live Spontaneous Nation shows uh, occasionally with uh, Eugene Cordero and uh, Janet Varney, Matt Gorley, uh, I think are the, uh, are the touring company. Yeah, it's awesome. I think I saw it live once in San Francisco and it was amazing. It was such a fun, fun Oh, energy. at Sketchfest? Yeah, yeah, at Sketchfest. Yeah. yeah it was great energy. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Paul, Paul and I have played together for years on the uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which we used to have a, a monthly live show at Largo, um, which we ended uh, quite a while ago now. <laughs> but but we still have a really strong fan base. We're, we're about to do some live shows at uh, the Bourbon Room in Hollywood, uh, right next to the former IO West, uh, which is still just a, a marquee in a uh, a hollowed out um shell of its former self but uh <laughs> but yeah but i'm excited to get the uh the thrilling adventure hour band back together this weekend oh that's awesome well i think we we have one final segment we have to get to um uh, craig but you know uh before we get to that i do want to say you know when i first got to you mentioned ios and i just think i felt such a fun community that you know i was there with like brian o'connell and some other people and like it was such a lovely time to be there and there was such um you know i'm gonna like you being one of my teachers and being super supportive and it's funny i was looking through like emails and i i i remember i started a group with two other guys called three-piece suit where we were gonna wear three-piece suits like that was because everyone at improv dresses so casual and i was like we're gonna dress yeah. up to differentiate ourselves you know um you know and then i did a two-man group with michael bellavia and you know we had a show where there was just his boyfriend was in the audience and the waiter coming in and out to ask for drinks you know and we had a great show it was like a midnight show but i i gotta you know i just want to you know tell you i was inspired by you know seeing you perform and things like that and just being around the theater and the the energy and it it, you know i always loved comedy but that was such a cool place and i'm i know this is a little bit long-winded but i also loved it i Oh, Wes, you could get up on stage. I thought that was such a cool thing. Whereas other places, it was harder to get up and perform. And, you know, sometimes what you'd see was not good. You'd do stuff that was not good, but you got an opportunity to get up there. And I loved that energy versus it was like so sacred to get up there. It was almost impossible, mm. which I think some places have, and they, they do good work. But the point is, I loved iOS getting up there, trying, failing, doing it again, and just, you know, coming back the next the next night. Oh, uh, thanks, Johnny. I, I have fond memories of those days as well. And yeah, I think that's so important for young performers. Uh, like you've got to get that stage time, you know, and like, it's okay to suck, you know, and what I love about improv is that it's communal and that it's experienced with other people and, you know, and you've got to be able to connect with other people to, to do it well, you know, the bigger the team, the more impressive it is, you know, to get eight minds to agree on something, but even just to get two minds, especially in our day and age, like it becomes harder and harder to find like basic agreement and decency (laughs) and, and collaboration, you know, that's why I love it as a, as an art form. I've never done stand up or any sort of solo performing. I love working off of other people Mm -hmm. so that that's, that's why I value that time as well. Like that feeling of community and collaboration. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, uh, Craig, thanks. Uh, We have one final thing, which is your best best bad bad acting. (laughs) And so what we're going to do is we're going to put a little quote in the chat. This is actually, it's it's long, actually. It's a little bit long, but it's kind of fun. It's the... um, it's it's a narrator part from the right stuff. Remember that movie, the right stuff. Sure. <laughs> and and so the, and and the point is to go kind of over the top and have fun with it, right? So you can okay. put on an accent. It's not to. That's why we call it bad acting. You can just have fun with it, you know. Um, um, and we might give you a redirect, but we're just kind of enjoying, just playing and being creative and, and not trying to be perfect, you know. So, yeah. Whatever. Whatever. You're well. Doing. Yeah. I actually, I'm I'm trying to do kind of for the Thrilling Adventure show this week, and I'm trying to do uh, an Alan Rickman kind of voice. Great. And uh, I tried it in rehearsal Perfect. yesterday, and they were like, that was an incredible Terrence Stamp. So uh, <laughs> I will also accept Terrence Stamp, but uh, this is just a practice. Uh, I love it. Love it. Uh, I love it. That's great. There was a demon that lived in the air. <laughs> they said whoever challenged him would die. Their controls would freeze up. Their planes would buffet. Buffet? Buffet wildly. (laughs) And they would disintegrate. The demon lived at Mach 1 on the meter, 750 miles an hour, where the air could not move out of the way. He lived beyond a barrier, through which they said, No man could ever pass. Thou shall not pass. (laughs) They called it. The sound barrier. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Amazing. Oh, so see when you give it to an actor, someone who can act. Corbin, how fun it's is that? So how fun, fun is it that? So oh fun. my god! 
That voice is amazing, I, by the way. It's really good. Well, it became Ian McKellen by the end. So I think any... <laughs> I felt that. I felt that. Any felt... British actor will suffice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Corbin, do you have a redirect? I don't know. I'm still enjoying I, that. I, I have really... That. I'm going to ruin it right now. But I yeah. I, I want to see it as your the pie just hits you in the face and you're giving your teary speech. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. There was a demon that lived in the air. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they said whoever challenged him would die. <laughs> their controls would freeze up. Their planes would buffet wildly. And, and they would disintegrate. The demon lived at Mach 1 in the meter. 750 miles an hour. <laughs> where the air. You could no longer move out of the way. He lived behind a barrier through which they said no man could ever pass. Mm. Ah, they call it the sound barrier. <laughs> that was amazing. Great. I got one more. I love that, Craig. I love that, okay. Craig. Can you do it as your favorite historical person from drunk history, whoever that would be? Mm. Who would Who would it be if you could think of someone? It doesn't have to be spot on. It could just be more, you know. Uh, well, well, in honor of Ken Henry Kissinger, who just died. Yes, yes, Kissinger. Great. This is, God, we really have a niche audience tonight. I love yeah, it today. Very great. Love it. Let's get there. Let's get there. Uh, there was a demon who lived in the air. They said whoever challenged him would die. The uh, controls would freeze up. The planes would uh, buff it wildly, and they would uh, disintegrate. Uh, the demon lived at Mach 1 on the meter, 750 miles an hour, where the air could no longer move out of the way. He, uh, he lived behind a barrier through which they said no man could ever pass. They called it the sound barrier. So good. <laughs> I was so good. I was like being told a story there. That was the that was my favorite. I was like, "Well, I'm on side of a story. This is amazing. What's what's this? Wow. This guy's lived this life." Yeah. Lived, Craig, that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, Corbin, weren't we excited when we got when we got Craig so on the excited. schedule? Thank you for being. We here. were so jazzed, great. man. Yeah. We were Joe so 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 jazzed, Craig. We really appreciate you taking the time. This has been this has been really wonderful. Oh, um, uh, so fun! Always always fun to go down memory lane <laughs> yes we think of every lane and i also one of the things i tell corbin is um i love meeting other people in the business that aren't cynical that are positive that are excited that have joy and i think you you've had you have that you've had that for a long time even with where we started uh, uh when i put you on the spot and i think i i feel like i have that and i think it's it's lovely um that you bring that energy mm -hmm. and so that's, that's why people want to work with you really this is a tough business, man. <laughs> yes. You've got to have a, you've got to have a thick skin. You've got to find the joy, and you've got to find the, just the the love for the art and the love for performing and the the desire to work on something. You know, even knowing that it may not benefit you financially. You know, I 100%. I always think of like improv is my life work. I also do this other thing where I try to get roles for money. <laughs> like. But like my self-worth is not tied up in the commerce aspect of it. You know, my self-worth is just dependent on like being an artist and like taking joy and pride in the, in the thing that I like to do. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And Corbin, um, Craig has spent 14 days working on that Kissinger accent. I never thought he'd be able to use it until right now. Until this that moment, is an artist. This, that that is, is an artist. And he came up and he crushed it. And he crushed it. So. Luckily, he died the day before we recorded. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, my God. Craig, this has been lovely. We really appreciate it. Like I said before, thank you so much for your time. We want to let you uh, get back to, to living life, but thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Movie Five Life Podcast.